0: on the bank of the Jordan, he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. In this story, we can just imagine Seeing Elisha as he saw this man of God who became a father to him. Just taken away from him in a split moment. And you can imagine the grief and the anguish of his heart. He probably fell to his knees and grieved. Maybe the thoughts flashed through his mind. What am I going to do now? I followed him. Now he's no longer here. Who will I follow? And we can see that as he regained his composure, he remembered what Elijah said to him. If you see me go, then you will receive a double portion of my spirit. Maybe he began thinking, wow, do I really have a double portion of Elijah's spirit upon me? And so he gets up and he smites the water. Maybe with some amount of doubt, But then he knew he needed to get to the other side. And then the Lord parted the waters and he crossed over. Sometimes we are in different places and different seasons in our lives where we walk through such great anguish and pain. And in our hearts, we say, God, Jesus, where are you? Crying out, saying, Lord, I need you. I don't see you. I'm not hearing from you right now. Where are you? See, the only thing that Elisha had left was Elijah's mantle. And the only thing that we have is God's word. The only thing we have is God's word. That in that time of desperation, we clutch it and we go and read it back to him. Lord, Lord, your word says this. This is where I am. And we prayed so many times. Until the pain level gets so high. And we become so desperate. And our hearts become humble. We begin crying out to Jesus. Lord. Where are you? Are you the God that I serve? And I want to tell you today. That maybe. Just maybe. Maybe. Elisha didn't know the God of heaven yet, really, until God started parting the waters for him. So he he had followed Elijah for so many years, and he was following Elijah, and he wanted to know whether this God of Elijah was going to become his God. See, I've walked... For such a long time. And I got to a place where. As I followed people. And I looked at them as they walked. And in my heart I said. Wow. I want God to do that for me too. Maybe I'm off. But I do think when we get to a certain place. And when Jesus moves in our hearts. We see that he's God. And in that place we get to choose. Will I now say, Jesus, you are my God, and I'll follow you? How many times has Jesus showed up for you when he shouldn't have, and he opened the way, and he did something? We might have said, well, Lord, if you do this, I'll follow you. I'm here today to tell you, Jesus is alive and well, and he is a God of power. And if you have said in your hearts, Lord, where are you? Chances are he might have moved already. And chances are he's on his way. We need God's power as we talk to people. We need God's power to come and save family members. To deal with our own hearts. And make us whole. But I do want to say... Something. Elisha asked Elijah for a double portion of his spirit, and he got that. Today, Jesus offers us much more. He offers his very self, his Holy Spirit, that will come and dwell in us. As we cry out to Jesus and we plead for him to come and to see his power, And as he comes and he blesses us, there's a growing that takes place when one walks in the blessing of Jesus. And with Elijah, Elijah, he did get the double portion of Elijah's spirit. And God can come and give us something. And then we can use it against others. So I urge you today, as the Lord comes and he blesses you, be very, very, very careful. Because I can say, well, the Lord speaks to me. Who are you? Very careful. As Jesus comes and he blesses us, how we walk in that blessing to bless others. And Elijah had to learn that lesson as he grew in the blessing of God Yes, he called a curse upon the children because they teased him. But I know that today Jesus does not call us to curse others, but to bless them. As our hearts are humbled before him. So as you come into this house today and you're asking, Lord, where are you? Don't you see me? Don't you see what's going on? Know that Jesus is here. And he is willing to part that water for you to cross over. Whatever the circumstance looks like. To stand and trust him today. I welcome you to the National Prayer Chapel. And it is a good thing to be in the house of the Lord. And to declare his praises. Please feel free to come and share a song. Or just where you are.
1: The message today is entitled The Fellowship of Blood. The Fellowship of Blood. Let's pray. Lord, you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are immutable. And I pray, Lord, that as we hear your word today, You will, in a very deep place in our soul, connect us fully into that fellowship of blood. I pray in your holy name. Amen. There are men and women around the world today, even as we are now speaking, who are on the run because they are members of the fellowship of blood. There are men and women, boys and girls who are being persecuted, homes destroyed because they are members of the fellowship of blood. Now, those are words that can be cheaply held in America because we could get up this morning and I had the privilege of using hot water. I don't like to shave in ice water. I had the luxury of shaving. I had the luxury this morning of air conditioning. I had the luxury of getting in an automobile and driving here. I didn't have to walk. I didn't have to ride my bike. Because of the luxury of America, which more than 90% of the world does not enjoy I mean let's let's be straight even in America one out of seven american families lives beneath the poverty level in America while we in Washington DC enjoy a lifestyle that is for the rich and the famous from the perspective of those living overseas and even many who live in America. And I was so cheered by our precious sister saying, if you have needs, talk about it. Come see me. I mean, it's this opening of our hearts that's necessary when we see a brother or a sister who's in need. We don't close our hearts to that. We sacrifice. We lift one another up. This is being a part of the fellowship of the blood. This is the most precious fellowship that exists in the universe. Do you understand today? I would rather be here on terra firma than to be an angel in heaven. We have been granted a place with the God of heaven That is beyond even the imagination of the angels. The scriptures tell us they long to look into this mystery of God's creation of a bride. Is there anything more beautiful than a bride? Is there anything more beautiful than a woman coming down that aisle dressed in purity? The universe is waiting for the wedding supper of the Lamb. Can you hear them talking now? God is getting married. And who is he marrying? The weakest of all of his creation. The one most undeserving of his love. I can see the wedding invitation now. I've wondered if it's already been mailed out across the universe. Because the wedding is very soon. We're almost there. The last hours of earth's history are wrapping up. And we will see and are seeing such an incredible upheaval as this earth is beginning to be literally torn apart with earthquakes. This was prophesied for the end of time. We are watching and waiting for the fellowship of blood to have its final celebration in the wedding feast of the Lamb. My dad used to talk about this. he would say at the dinner table, I'm glad you all are here to eat with us, speaking to the three boys. He knew we would just be temporarily there, and then we'd be grown up and we would leave home. Children are just with us such a short time, and then they're gone. He'd say, I'm so glad you're here. But there's something I'm looking forward to even more than dinner with you tonight. He called it supper. There's something more than supper I want with you. And dad, this big man, it's the only thing I knew that would make him tear up. He'd say, soon, boys. We're going to be called to a long, long table. And we're going to all sit at that table the wedding supper of the Lamb. And Jesus himself will come and serve us and wait on us. And the universe is going to be stunned by the beauty and the passion of the Christ for his people. I want to be there. I have eaten alone a lot this week. And I have marveled at this thing of eating. I mean, wouldn't it save so much time and money if we just stopped eating? I mean, think of all the food preparation time. I remember Jan used to prepare a meal, and then she'd say, do you know how much time it took to prepare this meal compared to how much time it took us to eat this meal? (laughs) She may have spent two or three hours in the kitchen preparing this wonderful meal. 30 minutes, we devoured it. The fellowship of blood is focused, as many of us are focused in our families, around the kitchen, around the family table sit at the family table, we know we have a place. The family table is very symbolic. The conversations that take place at the table are probably the most important conversations your family will ever have. And the most important table we will ever sit at will be the table, the Supper of the Lamb, the Fellowship of Blood, always gathers around food. And the food is always the broken body of Jesus. And the drink is always the spilled blood of Jesus. So we come today again to the book of James. And I'm going to be very, very practical with you. Chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation to sin. Now, I want you to watch. You're going to see that it is the expectation of Jesus that we will endure sin from beginning to to end. And if you've noticed... If you've been one who has gone fishing, I always fished with a little red bobber. That was my level of sophistication. And my daddy always said, you go catch the biggest grasshopper you can catch because the bigger the grasshopper, the bigger the fish. Now, I don't know if that's true. You could ask Zach and he could tell you but from the time I hooked that grasshopper onto that hook and threw it out into the water, and that grasshopper would kick in the water, and that kicking would alert the fish, and suddenly the water would break, and the swirl of the tail of that fish, my red bobber would disappear underwater. And I would be handling the reel to bring that fish in. And sometimes I got him, and sometimes he got away. And of course, if he got away, I told stories about the two-foot-long fish that got away. In truth, it was probably just a little crappie. And then the adrenaline stopped flowing. And it was time to go hunt for another big grasshopper. Sin is like that. It has a beginning where there is bait offered to you. And then the scriptures say that something inside of you begins to rise up. And you go to take that bait. And sometimes you get hooked And sometimes you get away and then it's over. Have you ever noticed that after you have been tempted to sin and you have succumbed to that temptation when it's over and you have sinned against God, there is a sense of uncleanness. There is a sense of dummy. Why did you do that? Why did you say that? Well, because the bait was out there. And you were set to go for that bait, not knowing that there was a hook in that bait. And you got pulled in by the devil. And you became unclean. And you said, that was stupid. Why would I do that again? And then you pray and you say, oh, Lord, don't ever let me do that again. Wash me, make me clean. I don't want to do that again. Till the next time. Somewhere we've got to begin to recognize the devil's grasshoppers. And begin to understand what he's throwing out there as bait. He knows what your favorite flavors are. He knows if you want to be the man. He knows if you want to be in charge. He knows if you he knows everything about you. So he chooses just the right grasshopper to kick in just the right way to get your attention. And then he knows how to make you feel guilty for taking his bait. How to feel dumb how to be ashamed. And you said, he got me again. You know, I've been around some mulberry bushes so many times that I've worn a path. And part of what I've made a vow before the Lord is that I'm not going around the mulberry bush again. I want to go straight down the road with Jesus. I don't want to feel the shame of sin in my heart. I don't want to feel the uncleanness of the devil in my life. Look, let's be very clear and honest with one another. Jesus is light and the devil is darkness. The devil brings shame. The devil brings embarrassment. The devil brings a sense that I am unworthy I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to have to face that. Now, maybe I'm just a coward. I've been beat up enough times by the devil, and I finally learned I can't box with him and win. I can't fight my sin and win. I have to focus on the person of Jesus and let him do the fighting for me. So let's read this scripture. Blessed is the man, this is verse 12, chapter 1 of James, verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation to sin because having become approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord promised to the ones loving him. So this thing of of sin or not sin, is a deal about love. Who do you love? And he's saying, if you'll let that love rule in your heart, you'll endure the devil's temptation and you'll say no to it. Now, come on. We all identify quickly the devil's temptations. He doesn't have anything new to bring to us. He has a rather small number of sins he can bring to each of us. And you right now could write a list, a very short list, of the primary sins of your heart. You already know them. The question is, do you love them? Now, let no one being tempted say, I am tempted by God. God does not tempt us. God will test us. But he will not tempt us. A temptation is a baited hook. A test is where God allows the devil to come and see what he can raise in our hearts to see if we will endure the devil's attack on us. I am tempted Let no one being tempted say, I am tempted by God. For God is untemptable by evil. And he himself entices no one to sin. But now listen to verse 14. Each one is enticed to sin by one's own lust being drawn out and being lured by bait then the lust having assisted produces sin and the sin having been completed brings forth death You know, I wish this said something else. I wish it would say that because the devil is so powerful, he can come to us and he can force us to sin. And we're just poor little victims and we can't help ourselves. What? Jesus is our lover and he will not insult us. And for Jesus to say, you're a victim and you can't help yourself, poor boy, they're there. He is insulting if he said that. He never says that. He made full provision for our forgiveness. He made full provision for our restoration. But he never treats us like victims. You can never say I just couldn't help it, Jesus. This is how I'm made. You're going to have to just put up with how I am. Are you kidding? He'll never do that. He wants a man or a woman who is willing to take responsibility for their behavior and their words. I have a sermon that I like to preach. I haven't preached it in this church, but I will someday, some Father's Day entitled, When Is a Man a Man? And I'll give you the sermon in about one line. A man is a man when he takes responsibility for his actions. When he makes no excuses. When he doesn't blame anyone. But he says, I'm responsible. Okay. When a man takes that position, he's in position to be forgiven. And he's in position to be healed. You know a child is still a child when they say, Bobby made me do it. No, nobody makes us do anything. That is the position of an immature child. And God's word to us is, Hey guys, Grow up time. Take responsibility for your attitude and your action. Even if it's ugly, take responsibility. And then bring it to Jesus. And he changes it all. He exposes the depth of the attack by Satan. And he heals us. Each one is enticed to sin by one's own lust. Now, I wish I could say to you that this lust is just... it's just sin. And when we're healed of our sin, we'll never have lust again. That's not true. Adam and Eve had no sin in their hearts until the bait of the devil aroused in Eve an attitude that said, I am lusting for this. In other words, part of the human nature, part of who we are without sin is we're hungry. And God knew that, and that's why he gave a tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, so he could see which way, We wanted to go. We're free. None of you in this room have to serve Jesus. You're free to renounce him. You're free to go your own way. You're free to be responsible for your own life. And you're free to be God to you. The day will come when God will say, okay, little gods, be God. And then they will recognize they have no life in them, they have no strength in themselves, and they crash and burn, and that's called hell. We were not created to be gods, we were created to be the lovers of God. So, will we endure the grasshoppers that Satan will pitch to us? Will we endure? the fevers that will come upon us and say, no, I love Jesus. He has my heart. I trust him. How many of you in this room have somebody in your life that you really love? Yeah, most of you. No, I don't mean yourself. (laughs) Now, tell me, is it possible to go very long in a day and not think about the one you most love? The one I most love constantly comes into my mind. And I'm looking forward to being together. I'm looking forward to the sharing of life together. I'm looking forward to just the pleasantness of relaxing together. Does the thought of Jesus occupy your mind as the one you love? Repeatedly through the day, do you think about him? I can tell you without any doubt, he thinks about you a lot. God thinks about you. He didn't die on Calvary out of coldness. He died on Calvary out of compassionate, merciful love for his bride. You occupy the thoughts of Jesus. Do you like being thought about by him? I do. I like that he thinks about me. Verse 16. You must not be deceived, beloved brethren, and that word can be sisters as well. You must not be deceived, my beloved brethren, my sisters. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of the lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the sun and the moon and the stars, from the constellations of the universe. He is the God who is looking down And saying, I'm almost ready for my bride. I want her. And you notice there are gifts involved. Have you received any gifts from God this week? Did you identify them? Did you sense the reality of them in your life? Everything good that happened to you in the last Seven days came from God. Nothing good comes from the devil. It may look good, but it's got a hook in it. He wants to catch you, to reel you into darkness with him. You know, when Jan was so sick, I had to learn very quickly how to help her and one of the things that I would do is that when the pain would begin to come into her body, she would begin to take very shallow, short breaths of air. And part of what I had to do was touch her and say, "Jan, breathe." And she'd say, "No, Jan." Take a deep breath. And as she would begin to breathe, her body would begin to relax. And the pain would begin to go away. Do you know what the Holy Spirit this last week said to me? I was out early in the morning in in the backyard, in the patio. I'd watered all of the flowers. I'd sat down and I was beginning to read James, I've read James so many times this week. And the Holy Spirit said to me, Ray, breathe. In an instant, I knew what he was saying to me. And I began to laugh. And I began to take deep breaths. And the fear that had filled my heart Because many mornings when I get up, my heart is filled with fear. Now, that's my immaturity. I recognize that. But I'm facing that radio broadcast again. I'm facing the work of Christ in my life. I'm facing my personal life. There's so many things that I'm facing that I'm concerned about. And that fear comes out of a lack of trust that God loves me. And I'm having to deal with that. Now, maybe you don't have to deal with fear. If you don't, I praise God for that. But I had to deal with it, and He knew I was taking short breaths in the spirit and in my body. He said, Breathe, Ray. Breathe. Alicia, breathe. Deep breaths. Because when we begin to take these breaths, I say to myself, breathe in Jesus, breathe out fear, breathe in Jesus, breathe out fear. And I just breathe. I take deep breaths in Jesus, and the fear is gone. The fear is gone. You must not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. The immutability of God. It's a big word. Let me tell you what it means. I asked one person this morning the definition instantly. The definition was there. Immutability simply means he doesn't change. If God could change and get better, he would not be God. If God could change and be less than, he would not be God. God is always the same, he is the same in strength. He's the same in knowledge. He's the same in holiness. And he's the same in regard to his place. He is everywhere at once. You cannot hide from him. He knows everything. Consider yourself to be in a hospital in the highest level intensity ward. The hairs on your head are being counted. The heart rate is monitored. The oxygen level is monitored. God is watching everything for you. You are the most precious thing in the world to him. He died for you. Do you think he's going to ignore you? He will not ever ignore his children. Verse 18, having willed it, he brought us into being by the word of truth. We were brought into being by the word. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. He spoke it into existence. As Brother David said, let there be light. He spoke it into existence. Now, let me take you to another passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. There's much here, and I'm going to deal with it on the air this week but let's just look very quickly at verse 14 and on. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 14 and on. Speaking about you endured from start to finish, the start to the end of that particular temptation, you endured it. And every temptation that you endure from start to finish, you become stronger and the devil has less of a handle to grab a hold of you. Then he says, verse 14, For this very reason, because you endured from start to finish, my beloved, you must flee from idolatry, or flee from the bait being offered by the devil. I speak as to wise men, you must judge what I say, The cup of blessing which we bless is not a fellowship, is it not a fellowship of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not a fellowship of the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We the many are the one body, for we all partake out of the one bread. Verse 20 rather that which the Gentiles sacrifice is sacrificed to demons and not to God. Now, I do not want you to become partakers of the demons. You are not able to drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You are not to partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we want to provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he is? You notice it is the fellowship of the body of Christ. The fellowship blood is the body of Jesus Christ. It is the church. The fellowship of blood is the body of Christ. It is the church. And he's saying, look, It is the fellowship of the blood. The word fellowship in the Greek is koinonia. It literally means to lean into so you don't fall. To lean into, to be supported by. And he's saying the church is the place where in the blood we come and we lean into Jesus And we lean into each other and we are supported by one another. The church is the body of Christ. It is the fellowship of blood. Jesus shed his blood on Calvary's tree. He formed a fellowship of blood. Men and women who are willing to shed their blood for the fellowship of Jesus Christ. Men and women who are at a point in their hearts where they say, I will no longer fellowship with the devil's bait. I will no longer fellowship with the unclean. I will no longer fellowship. I will no longer lean into wickedness for my enjoyment. I instead will lean into Jesus Christ and I will lean into his people. Now, let's be real honest. Sometimes I've been very untrustworthy for anybody to lean into. And if somebody leaned into me, they were going to land on their face. And we as a church have to grow up in Christ Jesus so that we're safe to be leaned into. Because instead of taking that person to ourselves, we reach out for Jesus for that person. We've got to learn how to pray for each other. We've got to learn how to witness to each other that Jesus is Lord. We've got to learn how to encourage one another in the journey. We've got to learn how to give to one another. We must become the trustworthy Fellowship of blood, <clears throat> because that's what Jesus has called us to. Church is not an institution. It's a body. It's not a business. It's a body. And we are members of that body. Now, I hate to even say this to you because we're, for, we're so far short of what I'm trying to talk about. But we need to know that's where we're going. That's where Jesus is calling us. To the fellowship of blood. His blood. And if necessary, our blood. Where we understand that there is an endurance that is being called for so that we do not take the devil's bite, his bait, So, our wife can say something to us that we don't like and we're not going to bite her. Our husband can say something and we're not going to get mad at him. We're not going to bite. We're not going to enter into controversy over stupidity. We're not going to enter into controversy over stuff that really doesn't matter. We're going to focus on Jesus and walking in fellowship with him. Now, I know too many times I've taken the devil's bait. I've got a pretty good idea what his bait looks like and tastes like now. I'm done. I want Jesus. No excuses. No one to blame. No spirit of independence and separation from the body of Christ. I'm sold out. I'm looking forward to the wedding feast of the Lamb. I want to be at that table. And I want you at that table. Please. Let's sit together. The wedding supper of the Lamb is coming soon. Let's get ready. Mighty God, I'm hungry for your table. I love you, Jesus. So many times I've taken the devil's bait and gone one more time Lord, let me be finished, let it be done. Let me endure every temptation from start to finish and walk away stronger and clean by your precious blood and by your power. Lord, minister, please, to this congregation. Accomplish what you want to accomplish in our hearts and set us ablaze with love for you. I pray in your holy name. Amen.